And that really, after the Gimlet sale, was a defining moment in this industry in terms of there was real dollars here and real M&A to be had. Then we sold Stitcher to SiriusXM. Then we sold Wondery to Amazon. Then we sold Art19 to Amazon. So within 14 months or so, I think actually less than that, a year, we had done four significant transactions. The Pathfinder podcast is presented to you by Ansarado. Ansarado is the modern deal and virtual data room technology designed to make M&A, capital raising, divestments, restructures, and IPOs as simple as possible. Since 2005, Ansarado has been trusted in over 24,000 transactions and powered over $1 trillion worth of deals. Ansarado is a secure space that includes workflow tools, AI-powered data rooms, built-in question and answer and integration frameworks. It's the data room trusted by modern dealmakers. You can start for free today at Ansarado.com. You know I like a winning team, so say it with me, Ansarado.com for your next winning outcome. Welcome to The Pathfinders, the modern dealmaker series brought to you by Ansarada. Now here's your host, Dahani Jones. Welcome back to another episode of The Pathfinders presented by Ansarada. This is a show dedicated to dealmakers, trailblazers, and we're going to tap into stories of modern dealmakers carving paths forward. I'm Donnie Jones, former NFL player, investor, and entrepreneur, and today I'm speaking with Alex Michael, the co-head of Lion Tree Growth. Alex is here to talk about how Lion Tree is working with Tomorrow Sports, media, audio, and tech companies. Today, we'll also talk a little bit about his work with mergers and acquisitions, capital raises, and much more. So get ready for another great episode of The Pathfinders, brought to you by Ansarada. What's up, Alex? Gosh, that is an amazing opening. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Did that satisfy you? Did I leave anything out? Did I, should I say something about your prowess as a softball player? Oh, no. My softball days are not as strong <laughs> as they used to be. But I think you captured it all. There's obviously so much more to bore people with today. But we will try to make this lively. And you <laughs> nailed it. I'm just excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I appreciate that. So, you know, in that realm of things that might be particularly different. And I think that when I think about the world of investing, when I think about the world of mergers and acquisitions, it oftentimes comes down to the personality of the person. So, mm. you know, you and I have, have met a bunch of times. We talk a couple of times. We're thinking about going on walks, you know, all the time. <laughs> so what, what would be something in your personality that one may not realize at the onset that they would have to take more time to get to know you in order to understand? That's a very good question. First of all, again, I, I just want to say thank you for having me. Speaking of personalities, you are truly one of the kindest, most gregarious, awesome, thoughtful people I've come across. And, and I would like to spend more time with you. And I'm glad we're getting to spend this time. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of people don't realize I'm, I'm kind of an introvert. Really? Most people would think I'm an extrovert. Yeah. But Oftentimes when I go into rooms and I'm sitting there talking to deal makers, I love being in the corner watching and being able to kind of see how people are operating so I can understand the better way to approach and to be able to learn and talk to people. Yeah. People think I'm an extrovert because I might talk loud sometimes, right? Yeah. But if you knew me yeah. long enough, you'd say, oh, he's a kind of an 
intro extrovert. So he's actually absorbing it. Exactly. So what might be one of the traits that you have that might take a little bit longer to understand in order to do that, you have to spend more time. Yeah. And by the way, my, uh, I had an executive coach for a while and he would call that going to the balcony. What you're talking about is doing it from the corner, but you go to the balcony, you look down, right? And that's, you kind of absorb what's going on. You take a second to yourself and then you kind of deploy again. But it's a, it's a great question. I think when I spend more time with people, I hope what comes away with that is, is frankly an authenticity. Mm. And I mean that in that we live in a transactional world in general. My job feels transactional nature, but my hope is that it's not about the transaction, that it is about the relationship. And the transaction is just like playing softball. It's a game we are partaking in that makes it interesting. It's why we're on the field. But that's I don't really care as much about the wins and losses or the score. I'm just enjoying playing it. And I think if we spend more time, I think that'll come through, I hope, and that it's about genuine ideas. There is actual care and concern for the people involved. And when we get things right, and there is a successful outcome, and even if there isn't, the journey has been important. And you asked me, and I know there's a sort of a question at the end about celebrations, but the celebration is that we're generally happy to have done it together. It is so much better to do it as friends. And you can be friends in 30 days or in 30 years, mm. but it all comes from a place of being genuine. And I think if you spend more time, my hope is that you come away with that, that it's not about a superficiality that it's about, that I really care for what's going on. And I'm really interested by what you're doing. So how do you turn the bases, right? How do you go from first base to second base, third base? Okay, how do you round the bases with... <laughs> We're going to stick with softball here. Okay. <laughs> We're sticking with softball. I mean, I, I just think that it's an, an awesome analog to how yeah. people build relationships and how you are really you know trying to build companies. And you, from a growth perspective, you're trying to hit a home run, right? You're stepping up to yeah. the plate and you're clocking that fastball and it's right there in the sweet spot and you're swinging for the fences. That's what it's all about. But knowing that pitcher is going to ultimately be what allows you to kind of make the best play possible. And that takes studying. So it's the same analogy. So how do you go? How do you go from the first base to the second base? Well, I think, so I'm going to try to pull on some threads there between the baseball and softball and everything that you got going there, which I love. I love. We're going to keep going. You played football, right? Not baseball. But um, let's think of it as pitching, all right? Which is you're the pitcher, you have three or four pitches. Your best pitch could be a fastball, that's fine, and you'll use it when you can. But if you do your research and study, there are some players that can hit the high fastball, and there's some players that can, and there's people who are susceptible to a curveball at different counts, and you've done your research, and you know. And I think one big takeaway to where you're at, where you're going at is that you need to know what pitch to use. Mm. And that comes from research. It comes from being in those situations and not all the pitches are created equal and not all the batters are created equal. And so knowing what your strengths are, sometimes staying within them, knowing when to try a pitch because you're way ahead in the count and it's okay to have a throwaway. You know, those are all key to like, to your earliest point there of like, how do you run the bases? Like you got to get to know people and you got to know what makes them tick. You can put them in a sort of blotter of what you've seen and that's fine. But then as you evolve and you get to know them, you get to see what their needs are, what they're after and what their goals are. 
And then you can use the right pitches. So it takes research. It takes time. It takes being in situations. And frankly, Donnie, the more I do this job, and I haven't been doing it that long. I came from the corporate side. I've been at Lion Tree six years, only four of which have been spent doing M&A, capital raising, investing. And I'm much better today than I was yesterday or four years ago. And that's also a true litmus of if you're growing with your job and, and hopefully having satisfaction out of it. At least you're growing with it. And I, I think that a lot of times people get into their job and sometimes they just stall out. But I think by you learning about your clients being able to learn about some of the people that you're working with and by bringing these deals and being authentic you're able to sort of mature the business, but you're also able to mature as a person. And that's sort of that critical juncture that makes all the difference in the world because people have so many, sometimes they have choices. And I think by working with you, they know that they have a friend and they also have a confidant and they have someone that's going to build with them. So as we look at some of the other growth partners that are out there, what's something that really differentiates Lion Tree growth from some of the other you know, competitors or some of the other businesses that yeah, people that may not be aware of? Sure. Well, this job is perfectly competitive. At the end of the day, banking has been around since, I don't know, thousands of years, hundreds of years. You know, like there are people who can do the job. There's no question. And you have lots of choices if that's what you want to get into. But then how do you succeed and how do you differentiate? Mm-hmm. And, and I give so much credit to my boss, our founder, our CEO, Ari Borkoff, who founded Lion Tree 10 years ago because his mandate and his imperative is that we would be different, that we would be trusted, mm. that we would be there for much more than the transaction. And that the things we would do wouldn't just be trying to do deals, that we would try to actually transform things, that we would participate in the industries and the economies we were involved in. And I think that's a differentiator. And it influences the fact, frankly, that I'm even there because, you know, if People saw my LinkedIn, they'd be like, why are you at a bank? I was, you know, post-business school. I worked at, like I mentioned, Ticketmaster, MSG. It did a startup, Living Social. And somehow REA saw this guy who was doing daily deals in DC and said, you know, you could come work with me very early on in the firm. Mm. And I've just grown with him and the firm. And what we do is we prioritize the relationships and the ideas. And it all starts there. The ideas and the relationships and then those manifest themselves in the different products we have, whether it's M&A, capital raises, IPOs, investments, like we prioritize that connectivity. There are lots of people who can run processes, just like there are lots of people who can sell your house or your apartment. But what differentiates you, and at least in this case, differentiates us, is that we really want to be involved in how you think about your home and you think about your next home and the journey you're going through. And this is such a personal thing. Even if it's a massive company, it's obviously people. And even if it's growth companies, which I focus on, it really is the people. And what you're doing is their everything. And if you're genuinely curious, if you genuinely are trying to leverage everything you have at your disposal, which Lion Tree, I believe, has a lot between the big cap relationships, small caps, different investment partners, et cetera. You come with a holistic solution that's differentiated. And that's what we try to do every day. So when you have ideas in abundance, sometimes it's hard to kind of nail things down. But I'd imagine that you all have taken some of these big ticket ideas and some of the relationships and some of the businesses and some of the 
houses that you'd like to flip and houses that you'd like to sort of grow <laughs> and narrow it into a priority. So how do you think about prioritization when it comes to Lion Tree growth? Well, we think very thematically. We set out and RA very much sets the tone in terms of where are their core areas that we really want to have thought leadership, where we want to spend our time and where we want to advise, where we want to invest. Where's the energy going to go? Because you're right, it can be unlimited. And it's a virtuous circle in the sense that more relationships leads to more ideas. And if you're doing it right, the ideas lead to relationships and it can keep going. So you have to have some filters, some mechanisms. And so I come back to the themes and what are we excited about and where do you want to spend time? So for example, today we are very focused on the creator economy. A lot of people are, certainly a lot of venture dollars have come in there, but we are in the first inning. This idea that people, let alone brands, let alone companies, can connect directly with their audiences, with their communities, like we're doing right here with your fans, Dahani. No, your fans, Alex. Hey, I'm trying. <laughs> Hopefully I'll pick up like one or two from this. But <laughs> the fact that you can reach them, I mean, think about this. 20 years ago, I guess. Let's start there. Maybe that's right or wrong. You'd have to have a radio show. You'd have to have terrestrial radio or maybe Sirius was just starting or whatever it was. Now we have a headset, a microphone, a computer, and we can reach unlimited people across the world. That's crazy. And then, you know what, Donna, you could say, I want to do a newsletter. I want to put this on YouTube. I want to create my own direct-to-consumer touchpoint website. I want to come up with a clothing line, your bow ties, right? Like you have an unprecedented moment, especially for a guy like yourself or a Kevin Durant or anything in between or some of the YouTube direct sensations to create a community around yourself and then ultimately have tools and services to monetize that. That is a powerful, powerful moment. There's 50 million people, Dahani, 50 million people consider themselves creators today, 2 million of which are doing it professionally. They're making serious money doing it. And there is a whole economy built around them of tools and services and platforms that is growing with it. Several billion dollars this year alone has gotten into this world from an investment standpoint. Mm. And so we're very much ahead of that, even though for people around it, like, oh, yeah, it's always been here, but it's not. And the moment is building. And that's a place we want to spend time. We want to invest probably more today because there's more to invest. But then that leads to advising. We did that in podcasting, actually. Podcasting, I give credit to my friend Tim O'Shaughnessy, who was the founder, co-founder and CEO of Living Social, where I work. He now runs Graham Holdings here in DC. He said to me in 2016, I was just kind of new into the lion tree. Look out for podcasting. This is going to be a big space. And you know what, Alex? You could be the podcast banker. And I said, Tim, you're insulting me terribly. I love the name of this podcast, the podcast banker, by the way. But yeah, maybe That's this is yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> it's like a show about a no show or whatever. It's a show about the show. <laughs> but he said that to me and I was like, oh gosh, I hope I have stronger aspirations here. But fast forward, because of him, literally because of him, we invested in Gimlet, which was a podcast studio out in New York, which sold to Spotify about a year after we did it. It was a great return. Awesome. And then it was around then that we started our own podcast, hashtag KindredCast with a K, 
that we've done 110 episodes of that has a really nice audience that lets you into the conversations Lion Tree is having. And then we said, okay, we've invested behind this theme a little bit. The market continues to grow and mature. Is there an advisory opportunity? And lo and behold, there was because we understood the marketplace. We had ideas. Our first assignment was to sell serial productions formally, which was created this podcast craze, an incredible group there, Ira, Julie, Lauren Zelaznik, and we sold it to the New York Times. And that really, after the Gimlet sale, was a defining moment in this industry in terms of there was real dollars here and real M&A to be had. Then we sold Stitcher to SiriusXM. Then we sold Wondery to Amazon. Then we sold Art19 to Amazon. So within 14 months or so, I think actually less than that, a year, we had done four significant transactions in the podcast space. So I mentioned this all as an example, Dahani, of like, there was an idea that someone gave us because of the relationship that this podcast thing could be big. And we said, okay, let's invest behind it. Let's learn. Let's try it ourselves. Let's do it. Then let's advise against it and let's keep advising. And now I don't know if anyone's done as many podcast deals as we've done, albeit still in a very nascent space. And that's a great example of running a thematic down and then continue to participate. And to think the entire time you never called me to do a podcast on any of your podcasts. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just have to say that, you know, I'm just, you know what? Twitter, There's still time. I'm like, let's see, one, two, three, four. Ah! And, and, and here's the thing. I know some of the people that you've worked with because they're also friends of mine and they never called me either. And I'm just like, so I, I had to get you on our podcast today. You had to just create your own show. That's fine. Yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah. You know, Pathfinder. So, you know, I, I am now in, you know, retrospect looking back and in forward as those that are kind of pushing sort of the needle forward and doing some amazing things. And I, and I love how you articulate the depth of knowledge within that thematic space of, of podcasts and media. But one of the areas that I have to talk to you about is the world of sports because let's do it. I think maybe like 10 years ago, people didn't really care. People 10 years ago, people weren't thinking about, and this is exactly what you're referring to the creator being the athlete, the creator having athletic prowess, but also having a platform and also having reach. It's done amazing things. And, and you all are working within the sports space. So I've seen some of the exciting announcements, seen some of the work that you all have done. Is there one deal in particular that you all were, have worked in the sports space? Tell me about one really exciting sports deal that you've been working on. We've been very fortunate at Lion Tree to work on a number of transactions in the sports world. We're very focused on it. And in particular, Dottie, we're focused on sports technology. There certainly is a whole market for doing team transactions albeit they're very episodic, it's hard to do that constantly because there's just not that many team deals that happen. But what we've really focused on is what are the disruptive elements of sports? What are the things we want to have exposure to? And there's comes back to that thematic, right? There's sports data, sports AI. Those are very strong themes right now, especially against the sports betting 
proliferation that's going on, especially here domestically with the PASPA, with the law changes. So we think of sports data. We think of different ways to customize and personalize the viewing experience, which data can do, but also augmentation, augmented reality, different ways that we can go from this. What we've had for you know 50 years, Dahani, is this one-to-many model of broadcasting content. And it's clear that can no longer hold forever. I mean, if you've mm-hmm. watched the Banning cast, that's a great example, right? There is so much interest in just a differentiated form. You have your own comments, you know, but what do you think of the Manning cast? Uh, you know, I, you I know those guys, I, I'm sure. I, I, I do enjoy it. I do like watching them sometimes, but let's just, let's just keep going down the route of, of sports. Oh, you want the deal. Okay. Sorry. So, so anyhow, I think the best investors, the best advisors follow a theme and live by it. And then there are things that are one-to-one and there are things that give you exposure to that theme. So to your question, what are some deals we're proud of of recent? Well, one example is Excel Sports, which we sold a stake of to Shamrock Capital. Those are all of the people involved there are incredibly smart. But what the Shamrock guys saw and what we saw, first of all, the guys who run Excel are Jeff, Mark, Casey. They're just incredibly talented people and incredibly genuine people. Mm. And they have become true giants in their form of advisory, which, you know, Jeff does basically every number one pick in the NBA. And at some point had like close to 20% of the NBA salary cap under his management. May still. Casey does almost all the big baseball guys, also Derek Jeter. And Mark does Tiger Woods. And they've built a firm around that. And they just are really, really good at what they do. And they do it in a genuine way. And so when they entrusted us to help find a capital partner for them, like I've saying all along, it was the journey we were interested in mm. finding the right home. And we were fortunate, even though this was during the pandemic, really the height of the pandemic, when everything was through Zoom. And Donnie, that's a point we'll get to in terms of what's changed in the last year and a half is Zoom in terms of doing full deals with never seeing anyone live is pretty crazy, but we can come back there. But that was one of those deals where it was impossible to see people. And we were fortunate, and I think they were fortunate, and Shamrock was fortunate to bring that all together in a tight way. And Shamrock said, you know what? The pandemic's the pandemic, but I believe in these guys in the long term. And I believe in this theme, which is as sports rights continue to climb, because for a long time, they were holding together the cable bundle. They still do. But they're also the source of just exposure to so many things that that will continue to climb. And with that, salaries will grow Mm. and opportunities for the brands. And the fact that we consume sports as much for the players and the personalities and the highlights as much as we do the games now. And so if you believe that, then one of the preeminent sports agencies is a good place to be. That's That's a place to tap into. And so they saw the deal, they did it. And that was an example one that we're really proud of because the people are great people. It was a good deal and it really was spot on for this thematic of continued global sports rights growth, but also consumption of sports in a more personalized and differentiated way than I think we've ever seen. And and that'll only continue. So you're basically saying that there's no, there's no difference between media M&A and sports M&A and any other types of M&A. It's basically all the same. It's based upon those relationships. It's spending time uh, of course. looking yeah. at the pitcher and trying to figure out like which which ball he's going to throw. Yeah, yeah. 
or, or if you're the pitcher, like w- which pitch works, you know, like just, I always come back to the real estate thing because sometimes it feels just more comfortable and like there's apartments, there's houses, there's townhouse, you know, like they're all different things, but at the end of the day, it's where people sleep and, you know, the, the same things apply. Like there's a very basic thing that we are just trying to connect the right people, regardless of if it's sports or podcasting or, or a telecom company. And sports is no different, even though it's, ooh, it's sports. It's a business fundamentally. And there's themes and there's there's things that, uh, you know, you, you shouldn't check, you know, the normal functioning of anything because it's sports. But what makes it successful? What makes what? Sports successful? Or sports M&A or what? What makes a successful deal, especially around sports? Like, how do you determine whether the deal that you did was a good deal? Was it that someone got paid on the other end? Was it that it worked out at the end? Well, it depends on who you are. It depends on who you are. Like, if you're just trying to sell for the highest dollar and you got what you think is the highest dollar and you're just happy with that, that's great. That could be one benchmark for you as the entrepreneur. For the buyer, it's much more tenuous. Listen, M&A has a a fairly spotty historical track record of being truly value creating. So it it really is how do you do the right deal and how do you define the metrics that will support that? And I think, you know, to have a successful deal, you have to have a strategy in place because the deal is a moment in time, right? It's a snapshot. Mm. I've worked for companies. I've seen deals where I've been on the operating side. And like, for me, the banker, it's, it's great. I, I just did the deal. Okay. You know, we'll stay in touch, but I go on. The company has to live with the, the future state here. And so there has to be, I think, cultural alignment. There has to be a real plan around the ingestion of the business and the people. There has to be motivational elements that aren't just, Hey, I'm waiting down my shot clock for the deferred payments I'm getting for doing this deal. Like they have to continue to be inspired. These can't be seen as moments in time where they definitely won't work. So the best deals are ones where there's a cultural alignment. There's a real dedication and thought put into integration because the body could reject this limb or this organ or whatever (laughs) weird analogy I'm making. And you've got to, you got to have that all in place. And then you need a little luck and you need to be onto the right theme. And of course, a private equity guy or girl has a much different benchmark. They're like, did I make money? Did I then sell it later to make more money? That's one mm. thing. But for a company, it's a different litmus test. For the seller, it's a different litmus test. And you got to look at each of those constituents. I love how we've gone through so many different analogies and metaphors. I mean, <laughs> we've completely confused everyone, but that's fine. <laughs> Look, we're sticking with baseball, okay? Or we're, th- we're sticking with softball. It's, it's sticking ball games. Okay. We can't even get our sport the same. <laughs> exactly. The Pathfinders Podcast is presented to you by Ansarada. Ansarada is the modern deal and virtual data room technology designed to make M&A, capital raising, divestments, restructures, and IPOs as simple as possible. Ansarada has just launched Freemium with the world's first online data room quote. Now you can get a free data room and quote in just three clicks and just 15 seconds. There's no need to wait. Get your room open straight away, no matter what stage you're at. Deal marketing, deal preparation, or due diligence. And here's the best bit. Usage fees only start when the deal goes live. All the top M&A firms and investment banks are jumping on it. 
That's because there is no risk, just reward. Pretty cool, right? Check it out at Ensarada.com slash quote. You know I like a winning team, so say it with me. Ensarada.com for your next winning outcome. In the very beginning, we talked about, you know, what makes you different makes the organization Lion Tree Growth different and what people can learn about you by spending more time. And one of the things that you were doing before was, you know, investment banking, you know, you know, work on analysis and things like that. You know, how do you think things would have been 20 years ago versus how they are now, right? Is it the same basic formula and has the technology contributed or taken away from, you know, how we do deals? Yeah. So I was an analyst out of college 20 years ago, um, almost literally. Yeah, literally. And I don't think the experience at those levels are all that different. I think people have more of a, I'm just now observing it, but the work is still hard. It's still demanding. We're still using Excel. We're still using PowerPoint. You know, we people stay up all night. Things come in late. You know, it's it's a very demanding culture, but it's also an incredible cauldron to learn things. When like, what else are you going to do at that age? Like, you should work hard, and it and it sets a you know, I think a work imperative that's pretty pretty informative. And you know, going to work at corporations actually after having that banking stand, I was like, oh, this is like people don't work that hard. Like, not in a bad way, but just in a different way. And it's always nicer to go that way than it is the other way Mm -hmm. and then be overwhelmed by it. So I don't think in many ways it's changed because also to the point of relationships and ideas, how, where does tech fit into that? It's really hard. There's the agency business. It's the same in Hollywood. Like why are there still agents? Like at the end of the day though, these things take a personal touch. They take personal relationship. There are Mm -hmm. things that technology can help with. Computing power can be faster. Models can be better. We talked about Zoom. Zoom was massive to keep the whole thing working because you do need to see people, maybe not literally, but just see them and talk to them and have that touch point, which obviously Zoom became a critical touch point during the pandemic. So Zoom changed it in that, heck, I think half of the meetings in the future state can be done by Zoom versus having to be in person. But the idea of going somewhere and putting in that effort and having a dialogue that isn't constrained to the virtual box, I don't know how you replace that. And I don't think you do, especially if the return on that investment is so high as it is in this industry or others like it. And so uh, you have the competitive dynamics and you have just the off script moments like, Dahani, if we're walking around in the neighborhood, which I hope to do soon, we can talk about things that will get at the genuine nature of a dynamic and authenticity that if we're set up for 15 minutes on a Zoom, we're not going to have a riff on like something or some interest that really will bind us a lot closer and build a trust that that you just can't get, you know, unless you're kind of with them or kind of just having thoughts. Technology is great because it makes things more efficient, right? It, it allows us to be transactional. And yes. I think that's the thing that you try to step away from. It's about that authenticity. And and as I always talk to some entrepreneurs about their own best practices in terms of being better entrepreneurs or being 
better pathfinders or deal makers. It's about establishing that first point of contact, but then staying in touch, creating that cadence, spending that time. Sometimes you might have to catch up and leverage the technology, but going deep within a vertical of spending time with someone that's going to teach you just as much as you teach them. So those might be some of my best advice and, and practices to entrepreneurs. What do you have for advice towards you know, entrepreneurs that are, you know, whether they're seeking to raise capital or, or they're doing other types of deals, potentially maybe for the first time? Well, I think it's, it's to your point, uh, you got to get out there. You have to, I think, again, the executive coach moment, like, you know, things kept progressing the last several years where more and more stuff was happening. And I, I kind of was like, how, I don't know how to keep doing this. Like, I, you know, I don't, I deal with growth companies, you know, generally a hundred million to a billion dollars in size are the type of transactions I'm doing. And we sell one and that's it. We've done it. You know, sometimes they can come fully around, but that's it. There's no big corporation that then brings me in again to do it again, to do it again, that you kind of can just feed off of. So then I sit there, I'm like, how am I going to keep doing this? Tell my wife, like, how am I going to keep doing this? And what the coach said and what I do believe I've been doing is that you're just constantly planting seeds. Mm. You are planting seeds every single day. And it does, sometimes you're, you're purposely putting them in the ground. We'll go with analogy again. And sometimes you're taking a handful and throwing them into the wind, but you're doing something. And those seeds grow at different times and different intervals and things that you had totally written off end up growing into something and things that you were sure that you put in the right soil and the right light and everything. They never become anything or an animal eats them or something like, but you have to keep planting seeds. And that's the only way you're going to have a garden. And that's what I have learned through this and really my entire life. And what are the light touch ways to keep growing those seeds? What are all the tools at your disposal? Is it an update on LinkedIn? Is it, oh, just the one time you go to that city, you reach out? Is it being on a fantasy football, you know, competition chain of like, hey, we're doing this pool for the Super Bowl or something like what are all the different ways? Or they're signing up for the Lion Tree newsletter so that they at least get a, a reminder every Friday with a piece of information that they mm. like that we're here. And then when inspiration strikes. So if there's one takeaway is that you have to plant seeds. Seeds come in every variety and you're just constantly doing it. And then you'll be amazed by what grows out of it. What do they say? The day you plant the seeds is not the day you cultivate the garden. I, I love that. Yeah, sure. We're going to add that to our, to our list of uh, metaphors that we're talking about today. I just love that. And while I was watching you explain the way that you work with, with entrepreneurs, kind of saw you look off into the, into the distance. And I was wondering, was there someone that you were thinking about as you were explaining the, the reasons why or the things that you teach to other entrepreneurs? Was there someone that taught you the way that you are today? Ooh, uh, sort of mentors and teachers. Um, well, I, you know, I give REA, you know, like I said, our founder, my boss, just, he does it. I don't, he's the Peyton Manning, like he, you know, and, uh, I get it's the end of year. So maybe it seems like I'm sucking up. It's not because of that. I would, I would say that in February, I would say it at any time of year, he is, a true visionary. And I learned that I've been at companies where maybe that wasn't the case. And you just, if you, that's another piece of advice, by the way, if you find someone 
or some people who you think are just dynamic, who are one of the greats in whatever they do, like hold on to it. Mm. Doesn't mean you have to be there forever, but you will learn a tremendous amount and you may end up with some great success because of it. And I think he's one of those people. And what I learned from him is that certainly he he wouldn't characterize his planting seeds, but just the way he approaches relationships, the way his intensity for doing things the right way, with the right speed, the right texture, the right touch points, it is inspirational. And frankly, the only other place I've seen it sort of perform like that is actually Harvard Business School, which uh, I'm a proud attendee. And I'm not saying that to float that. I'm just saying like the way they do things is just so meticulous and so pristine and so protective of the brand that you just feel it the second you touch anything to do with it. And that's what we're trying to do at Lion Tree. And that's what REA has built. So he's certainly one person. Scott O'Neill is another very successful executive. He just stepped down from running the Sixers and the Devils. I worked for him at MSG. And Scott just had an incredible way of disarming, and he still does, disarming anyone in the room, that he was one of them. It didn't matter if it could have been the security guard or it could be the CEO of Coca-Cola. Mm. And that idea that it's, it's humility, it's reading the room, it's EQ. He has the intelligence of everyone in there, but he never wants them to feel like, you know, intimidated or, you know, not at their most comfortable. And that's very, very difficult. And he was a great mentor in that fact. So there are a couple of examples. There's lots more, but those particularly stick out because they're ways that they conduct themselves that resonates with me personally and my style. And I'm like, I'll take a little of that. I'll take a little of that and try to throw it into my own soup and hope it tastes okay. <laughs> Mix it up and create your own seed and then throw it into the ground and it's going to sprout this amazing garden. Yeah. Another analogy. And, and maybe a tree that then I can <laughs> cut down for a baseball bat. Well, are, are there some things that you're seeing on the horizon from your vantage point as an investor that other people should be aware of? You know, are, are some high potential, you know, companies that you're seeing out there in the sport and media side that we're, we may not be familiar with. Yeah, there's so many. I mean, that's the hard part of this job is like, how do you separate everything and kind of really get interested in it and make the right choices? This is what any investor, any advisor, at the end of the day, even as an M&A advisor, I'm investing my time, which is arguably more valuable than the check. And so you've got to do the same analysis, albeit it's a little bit of a different calculation, but you're still making bets and these bets you have to live with. So I, we apply some of the same principles. But with that said, you know, I mentioned creator economy. That can be sports, it cannot be, but this idea of, you know, people connecting directly with their audiences, monetizing their audiences, creating community, that's here to stay. And I think that's a huge theme we're investing and advising in. You can't go anywhere without talking about crypto and NFT and that whole world. And I say it in a dismissive way, but it's a it's a real thing. Everything's inflated now from a value perspective. So I don't know what steady state is for these things. But there's clearly a lot going on. There's something there. Trillions of dollars of value are being created. And how do you play that? And that's cascaded also into collectibles and sneakers. And, you know, we just invested in Goat, the sneaker marketplace. We invested in this great company in France called So Rare, which is a soccer NFT meets fantasy business 
kind of like Dapper Labs and Top Shot, if people are familiar with that, that has done that for basketball and will do that for football. Like this idea that a card used to be cardboard uh, or a player and an image, and now it's a highlight. It's a virtual thing that you know where it comes from and, and, it, and it's limited and it's scarce. Those are all things that are going to continue and that are super interesting. I mentioned sports data, sports AI. I believe in that. I think youth sports is a huge area that mm -hmm. the leagues need to keep investing in or start investing in in a heavy way because we're losing audience after audience here. And I think the tools and technologies that help people, help these leagues, but also these companies reach that audience is going to continue to be a critical area. And it's so fragmented. You know, we invested in Cal Ripken's Ripken Baseball. That was part of a thematic that we want to be around the best brands that are going to be leaders as that world consolidates a little more as technology gets infused in it. We sold Game Changer, which is a tremendous baseball scorekeeping app that Dick's currently owns. That was another sort of canary in the mind of like, wow, there's something going on in youth sports that we're, that is still not really tapped. And spend is going up even as participation is going down. We need to do more there. We invested in Mojo, which is an interesting company, Ben Sherwood, Disney executive of how to help parents be better coaches. Because mm. all these touch points is a phenomenal app. We're super excited about it. But like, think of it, we entrust, I mean, Donnie, you're probably a good coach because you played actual professional football and been coached at so many levels. But like me, they're like, okay, teach volleyball or soccer or like help out. And these kids are going to have a bad experience. I mean, there's just so many things. And I love that you all are so educated around so many different verticals. But when you get into that vertical, you go deep and you spend a lot of time and you really help these companies truly reach their true potential. So I really appreciate all the comments and some of the advice that you've given to myself, but also given to the entrepreneurs that are listening today. So uh, I end with this last question. You know, we, li we like to talk about this as meals and deals, right? So what's your favorite celebration? of a winning deal, right? Whether it be a place, restaurant, a party, or hanging out with somebody, like how do you celebrate? And where do you go to celebrate? Oh my gosh, you're going to be so disappointed. I mean, there's no go-to. Come on, there's got to be like, one. There's got to be one. Or there's got to be a drink. Or there's got to be a, a, a favorite dish. You know, is it the shrimp scampi that you always have yeah. all the time? Or is it the cafe latte <laughs> that you got to have? Or is, or is it the gimlet that makes you, oh, you know, gosh. stand up and make a toast? What is it? What is that celebration? Oh, I wish, we, you know, we could do a better job of mm. celebrating. I think that's the first and foremost. Like you should actually savor these things because there's so much going on and the degree of difficulty, you know, there's 99 things, ways for things to fall apart. There's only one way for it to actually work. And I don't think we do a good enough time. And this at any is just like actually absorbing that without thinking of the next thing. So one is I wish I celebrated better because it deserves it. And that, that goes for any of life successes for anyone that we should do a better job of the gratitude of what goes on when things go well. And I don't think we do a good enough job about that. You know, RPM here in DC, I'll give a plug. For some reason, that seems like a celebratory <laughs> place if I'm ever in DC. And we've been there a lot. We used to do some management meetings for a business we sold here. I don't know. Like, it's just, uh, it's really about the people, not the institutions. Like, if we've done a good job and we're celebrating with people that we like, that's all that matters. It can be Vegas. It can be a restaurant in LA. It can be a glass of wine at home. If you've done a good job and it's with people you've grown to care about, 
that's the celebration. That's when I feel my best, Dahani. It's that you've made a difference for these people. And I know we're not saving lives, but we are changing lives. And that is something to also be appreciative of and treat as a, as a real trust. And so when we see it through and it works, that's the celebration. Wow. I think that's uh, one of the best answers. And I think it's also one of the best advice to people. Celebrate those moments. And I'm celebrating with you today because I've really enjoyed our conversation. And that's all the time we have. And I just want to say thank you so much to Alex for being our guest on the show this week to discuss Lion Tree growth and what it takes to be a Pathfinder because he truly is. Be sure to listen out for our next episode. And don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Alex, you know that. I do. Or anywhere you find your favorite podcast. I'm Dahani Jones. And thanks for listening to the Pathfinders from Ensarada. Thank you again, Alex.